0: Hello and welcome to Wake twogs Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. to an introductory episode for way 2 Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast. Um, this is not going to be a typical episode. We're you know, I'm recording this kind of before starting uh, season six um, and after ending season five. And I realized, you know, podcasts only grow from people sharing them and I don't have a particularly good like here's a good first episode to listen to kind of the nature of the podcast is it, it serves several different or kind of uses several different overlapping communities of, of piping history and music. And so there might not be, you know, when I recommend the show to people, it's generally very specifically based on something they were talking about that I think they would be interested in or a question they had that I address in the show. Um, so This is just going to serve as a bit of an introductory episode to tell you what the show is about, what the shows are, a bit of a history of the show, and then talk um, briefly about the sources I use most often and kind of some of the assumed vocabulary of instruments and that sort of thing as well. So I guess first we'll talk about the type of episodes that I have. Um, This is not a particularly... um, it's not... Every episode is not the same, uh, I guess is, is what I want to say. I think I have about five different types of episodes. Um, so we'll say the first one uh, we'll, we'll do these in like least least common to most common types of episodes. Occasionally lately I've been doing audiobook podcasts so you know as a historian, and my interest in history comes from looking at primary sources, whether that's published tunes or journals or diaries or that sort of thing and one thing I'd like to do is make those. Interesting primary sources, more accessible to folks. Um, I know sitting down and reading an 18th century text is not the first thing on everyone's like mind of fun activities necessarily, but I find it fun, and I also know that those archives can be really inaccessible to people, even just figuring out how to scroll the internet to find them, or if you've got any sort of uh, dyslexia or reading uh, kind of challenges, looking through 18th century texts can be more than a little bit of a nightmare. So, so we'll do those occasionally, um, where I'll read a primary source in its uh, entirety or excerpts from it and kind of host those as standalone episodes. Uh, generally having to do with Scottish or Irish piping or or history or music in general. Um, Another type of episode that I have, I've only done one of these so far, but it kind of paired with that audiobook, and that was having a discussion uh, with people who, you know, I'm kind of... um, indebted to who have been doing this sort of work much longer than i have and much more seriously and arduously than i have um, but having kind of a round table discussion about one of these sources or collections of tunes Uh, so we've only got one of those so far about the Patrick mcdonald collection i'm hoping to do more because it was a really fascinating conversation um kind of along those same lines another type of episode i have is just a standard interview so i've interviewed um several pipers Uh, if you are a piper or a researcher or author or something and you've got something going that you think kind of fits with this discussion of bagpiping and bagpipe history specifically in the kind of 18th and early 19th century you know, if I see it, I might bug you to ask to talk about it. Or um, if you think that the show and I'd be interested in it, let me know and be happy to consider doing an interview and kind of talk about things. So lots of those to check out on the podcast. Um, and then the most common episode types are where I just play a lot of tunes. Um, but even that has kind of two different main approaches. And I'm going to try to be more consistent with this in season six of kind of being one or the other thing. Um, one approach is to kind of focus on one source uh through the course of doing the podcast i've realized just how many sources for music there really are in the 18th century it seems like there's so much music being printed uh, in scotland and england uh, and to a lesser extent in ireland Um, but there's so much written music out there that i could play 20 tunes a week uh, and be doing this podcast for the rest of my life, I think. Um, There's just a lot of published material out there that kind of fits within that era that I'm interested in of kind of 1700s to kind of mid-19th century. For some reason, I start to really lose interest um, once the kind of mid... I don't know. I'm starting to become more interested in the 1860s and 1880s because of the Goodman collection and some of those other stuff, but... Uh, generally my focus area is stuff that's 18th century or i think may have started its its life in the 18th century is sort of where i wind up looking Uh, anyway so some of these music episodes i'll just play tunes from one source so one printed source that'll be sort of what holds the episode together occasionally playing interesting concordances or other versions of tunes if i think that's that's interesting Uh, or kind of going off on a tangent if there's a story related to that source uh, that that has been known to happen um, several times. Sometimes it's following a single composer or uh, music printer. Towards the end of season four, I did kind of a four or five episode arc looking at... um, the walshes and then the bremner family's kind of printing legacy which kind of covers all of the 18th century honestly john walsh senior started printing music uh 1711 i think is when he starts printing handle stuff and um then kind of robert bremner shows up right as walsh is sort of being replaced by his son and not printing as often and bremner is, is printing uh, I think into the 19th century, but certainly towards the end of the 18th century. Anyway, um, so we'll do those those sorts of episodes. And then the other type of episode that I do most often um, is kind of looking at one tune and kind of doing a deep dive on a particular tune or cluster of tunes that are related, uh, seeing how it changes over time and is you know represented differently in Ireland versus Scotland versus England. So I think those are uh, widely considered some of the best episodes that people really seem to like the most like the gravel walk or the gold ring are some of my favorites that i've done kind of looking at those tunes um and i definitely have several more of those in my kind of big working file of episodes that are coming up um for season six i'm hoping to do some more interviews with um, pipe makers um and yeah and and maybe a co-host coming in doing something that's sort of fits within that same framework of just a close look at one tune, um, but would be its own different thing anyway. But it won't be me hosting it, so I won't give you too much of an introduction of of what it is, Um, but it is mostly just focusing on one tune. Uh, Anyway, so that's what the podcast is. Um, Even the interviews will have music of some sorts, often from the person I'm interviewing or related to what we're talking about. Uh, And so this seems like a good time to take a pause and listen to a tune. Um, During this period between Um, between seasons i generally am working on an album kind of showing some of my favorite stuff from that season released my first album in jan i guess february of 2020 2021 rather uh, and that was of my favorite tunes um, with decent recordings from um, from season four. And that album is called Oyster Wives Rant. I always wind up calling the album sort of whatever the title track is. So Oyster Wives Rant was my intro music for much of that season. And so that became the title of it, but we'll finish, uh, we'll, we'll kind of segue here with a tune I wrote sort of, it's a improvisation that I played, uh, in 2019 when I was visiting, uh, the Isle of Harris. So at the very bottom of the Isle of Harris, there's St. Clement's church where a bunch of McLeod chiefs were buried. Uh, it's, beautiful kind of fascinating church and when we were there um, I kind of I wanted to see it because I I'm not 100% sure that this happened based on the history of the place and timing of the Reformation but uh, I thought that the McCrimmon Pipers to Clan MacLeod may have played there for funerals and things and so i wanted to go and play some tunes there and uh and so this is it this is a recording i made and it wound up being the final track of oyster Wives rant that album from 2021 so anyway here is improvisation on saint clement's church on the isle of harris <laughs> So, uh, as you heard there, I play Highland pipes. So I think we'll take this, uh, moment here to kind of talk about the instruments that you'll hear on the podcast when they're played by me. Um, my first instrument was Highland pipes, um, started playing when I was nine. I think by the time I was 11 or 12, I had lucked my way into a practice set of Illin pipes. And so I've been piping for over 20 years on both instruments. I never had lessons on Illin pipes, which, uh, I definitely do not recommend and uh i kind of quit lessons on highland pipes after i became a teenager because i was way too cool for the pipe band obviously uh really regret that uh keep your teachers people it was good um but yeah so that's sort of my first instrument is highland pipes really um I think that recording is me playing a set of Kintail drones that I had kind of custom made, uh, to look like an 18th century, uh, 18th century set of pipes and using just a McCallum chanter. Nowadays, most of the piping on the podcast, at least for season five and probably for much of season six, unless I get a sponsorship. Cause I'd, I'd like to get a B flat chanter that's easily like accessible to folks. Cause one of the things I've enjoyed doing on the podcast is playing around with, um, playing the second octave on highland pipes, which seems to be a thing that was done, you know, at least somewhat. (laughs) Occasionally, maybe, but was definitely done in the 18th century and 19th century by pipers. And my setup right now is using a hardy channer from the 60s, and every time I need a new reed, it's sort of a crapshoot. If I can get it to work and it takes a long time setting it up, it'd be a lot easier if I just had a new B-flat channer um, where... I could have a reliable system also that way I could give advice to people that wanted to replicate it so if you make bagpipes or know people that do um and you want to just yeah looking for that sponsorship to like be able to help people also play those high b's and high c's anyway so uh generally can chanter or can tail drones with a old hardy chanter from I think 1969 is when it's from I also play Ellen pipes, like I said, um, my drones and regulators were made by a buddy of mine, David Boivere, in the Twin Cities, Minnesota, uh, and the chanter that I'm playing now is a Kohler and Quinn chanter, um, I picked up used, and right now my drones are running easy drone reads, but it's not ideal, so things might be changing there. Uh, I have a set of Denny Hall small pipes from, ND from like the 90s, probably, um, they don't wind up getting played on the podcast too often just because they're pretty darn petite. And as I'm recording this, I just found out that my new uh, John Swain pipes are on the lathe. And when talking about John Swain pipes, this is a good moment to talk about names. <laughs> um, those are, anyway, those are the most mostly the pipes that I play. Um, the pipes that I own, anyway, are those Highland pipes from Kintale. I have a McCallum set too that don't get played much these days. Um, and then my Ellen pipes those small pipes, and this forthcoming set from John Swain. But there is some debate about what to call these things. Uh, I often will play bagpipes that I'm borrowing on the podcast as well, and the first set of border pipes, I'll call them, uh, that I had, uh, that I was able to play on the podcast, were made by Nate Banton, and Nate Banton calls them border pipes, and so I called them border pipes. Um, The Lowland and Border Piping Society call them lowland or border pipes Um, prior to that organization starting uh, lowland was probably more common than border pipes calling them lowland pipes Um, one of the challenges with that instrument is that um, it seems like the oldest names for them are so specific that they aren't They're they're like very uh, geographically specific. So, for example, in a lot of historic records and people playing them um, in the 19th century and 18th century and early 20th century in Scotland, rather than calling them border pipes or lowland pipes, it would just be bellows pipes. But of course, there are other bellows pipes other than lowland pipes. And there are lowland pipes that don't use a bellows. So it's not an ideal naming convention uh john swain makes this slightly more confusing um by calling border pipes um which are are really kind of more of a european french style pipe he calls border pipes with like the tuning and the the tone of them and i'm getting a set of those so my the pipes i'm getting from john swain will be what he calls border pipes in g and i'm also getting a what he calls his lowland chanter in a uh because the lowland chanter really works well with Ellen pipes. So uh, anyway, but that's what I, I wind up calling them border pipes or lowland pipes kind of interchangeably. Historically, you'd see cold wind pipes. Occasionally bellows pipes is a common name for them. Um, At this point, I've been saying border pipes for long. That's probably what I'm going to wind up calling them, but that's where it comes from. Uh, Often there's, I have realized that there is a shorthand that people use uh, that kind of confused me and has turned into something of a meme. Um, of calling these instruments, not pipes, but just the geographical region they're from. And I'm not a fan of that. Um, like, and I'll tell you why, I guess the idea of calling rather than calling Ellen pipes, um, like calling Ellen pipes, Ellen pipes, rather than calling them Illins. This is, that's sort of not the same deal. Cause Ellen is just Irish for elbow. Um, but it sort of is the same problem, right? Illens. Well, these are my illens. Well, that means you're saying my elbows. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So illen pipes does make sense. Illens doesn't. Um, and it gets significantly worse if you start referring to highland bagpipes as your highlands. Like, I get that it's a shorthand, um, but just as an American piper who gets a little bit worried about Americans kind of claiming everything for themselves and not kind of acknowledging where things come from, like calling highland pipes highlands just kind of claims a whole region uh and and people (laughs) as like oh no this is all this all the highlands are is this instrument to me it's not an actual place populated by people um and borders the same thing kind of referring to border pipes as borders um makes an already confusing named instrument uh even more confusing and misleading and kind of erases that the borders exist and that there are people there and that sort of thing to me a little bit i get that it's shorthand people have nicknames for stuff but just if you have ever it seems like the various arguments on the internet about this is somebody just can't even fathom why this would bother anyone or why this is wrong and that's why it's wrong it's that the borders is a place um that people live at it's not an instrument right that's all anyway uh those are my instruments i also play a lot of whistles probably continue to play a lot of whistles on the podcast uh one of my goals is to eventually get a flagolet or you know the 18th century equivalent of penny whistles um but that's probably a long way off i play a low whistle too which is just totally a cheating non-18th century instrument but uh it's it it works (laughs) it works and it's good for when i need to just rip through a couple different settings of things is sort of what i do with that and lately i've been playing a fair amount of jaw harp on the podcast as well Uh, jaw harps or trumps or uh, all kinds of different names Technically, I, I suppose I play a Morjang, which uh, is sort of the Indian version of a jaw harp. But really, that is the version that was the jaw harp of choice in the 18th century in Europe and in Canada, uh, where it was probably the number one instrument. So, use those things quite a bit. And they show up in kind of discussions of Scottish music, so it makes it feels like a good fit and it sounds good as well. Uh, And those are my main instruments. I've also recently picked up a harp, but it is in pretty serious disrepair. So I don't know if I'll ever get that thing working. Um, But we might hear a harp on the podcast, but I don't know who the maker is. It is a kind of secondhand harp that my wife had when she was a uh, very young child as a reward for taking piano lessons that she didn't actually wind up taking up but i'm very excited to have a harp around we'll see how it goes uh anyway speaking of illin pipes and border pipes and uh jaw harps i guess this is a good as time as any good a time as any for a intermission here so uh this is going to be one of my favorite tunes uh mr preston's hornpipe it was a popular tune uh technically i suppose an english horn pipe uh from lancashire and uh yeah it's the opening track on my second album pay the pipe maker uh which uh, came out in november Uh, that was my my hope was that selling copies of pay the pipe maker would help to offset the cost of getting that second chanter from uh john swain i'm getting a set of student pipes uh as I mentioned, I'm a PhD candidate, so don't have a ton of uh, disposable income, and we're just about there. I think we're about. Uh, it's it's been out for uh, almost two months now, and it has made. I think I've sold $300 worth of copies, and the extra chanter is probably going to cost $400 or something like that. So, it's getting there. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, anyway, here is Mr. Preston's hornpipe, and then when we come back. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the podcast. So, yeah, that was, um, Mr. Preston's Hornpipe. Good tune from either 1700 or very late 1600s. Um, but good tune. First showed up, uh, I first heard it from Pete Stewart, who has it published in, uh, his collection of tunes. Anyway, a little bit about me. Um, so I am Jeremy. I'm the host, uh, also known as Way Too Twog, I suppose. Uh, I suppose that name should have some introduction, um, When I started this podcast in 2006, podcasting was rather new. Uh, There were no other bagpiping podcasts. I think after I had two or three episodes out, National Piping Center put out a video podcast. I think they only made two episodes of that and then quit. They were good, though. Kind of wish they kept them going. Um, Anyway... So when I first started the podcast, I didn't know what it was going to be about, necessarily. I just wanted to do a bagpipe podcast. I thought it would be fun to play some tunes, to drink some whiskey, and to kind of do that. They're rather embarrassing and kind of hidden away as well as I can, but I release uh, kind of embarrassing clips of them occasionally as bonus episodes over on the Patreon feed. So if you want to hear embarrassing 20-year-old Jeremy, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash um, so in 2006, I was getting an undergraduate degree in American Indian Studies and Ojibwe language in Bemidji, Minnesota. I was playing pipes with a kind of parade band there called the First City Pipe Band, which kind of sparked into and out of existence rather quickly. And uh, yeah, I was just having a good time time and kind of goofing around didn't know what the podcast was going to be jokingly called it way to twogs podcast of bagpipe power the first episode because i thought that was absurd and i would come up with a better name and i never did that name just sort of stuck um i thought it was funny i also thought that way too twog was a good way to make it clear that Uh, I, I I was uncomfortable with calling it bagpipe power pretty early on because I was worried people would think that it had some white supremacist or white power leanings. Uh, very much doesn't. I'm kind of disgusted at the use of bagpipes by white supremacists and, uh, white nationalists. And, uh, if that's your jam, just quit listening, man. Like, uh, I'd rather you not be entertained by my music, um, Anyway, so I thought keep way too twog in there. It's an Ojibwe name, obviously white supremacist, racist. You know, famously not the smartest people in the world. Uh, I assumed that they would catch that way too twog was no Ojibwe word, and therefore this wasn't a podcast for them. It's very naive uh, as a twenty year old. Uh, but anyway, the name stuck around, and uh, by the time the podcast kind of relaunched in twenty twenty, I was talking to a buddy. You know, like I said, I started the show in two thousand six. Um, kind of started it three different times. I would start it up, do a couple episodes, then it would die. Start it up, do a couple episodes, and it would die. And the fourth time, one of the reasons it would die is I would run out of space. I was using a free software or a free server... And I'd either run out of bandwidth or run out of storage. And I knew that if I was going to do the podcast, I was going to need to pay for something. And a buddy of mine had a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. um, The Very Good Adventuring team, whose episodes I think are still live. And I asked him about Fireside that he was using. And we were talking about it. And he set me up with a URL before we even finished discussing it. So uh, when I renamed it Way2Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, that was sort of because Way2Twog was the URL. Uh, I maybe would have gotten rid of way too twog at that point but whatever Um, occasionally I'll still hear from people uh, that listened back in 2006 asking me where the podcast is so I guess it's a good enough reason as any to keep it around Um, yeah and also it's a funny name right way too twog that which jiggles it's a jibber word for jello pudding like it's a good it's a good goofy name uh, to have for this kind of bizarre podcast Um, so yeah now the podcast is pretty focused on playing historical tunes and kind of talking about pipers of history and historical topics and that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it took a while to get here, (laughs) I guess. So, um, there's lots of lots of stuff to listen to at this point i think there's 70 or 80 episodes that are live on the feed as well as uh 10 or 11 bonus episodes and some study episodes over on the patreon feed so there's lots of content to get through um and i have realized that i have a lot of assumed vocabulary of just people and like names of people um that i just assume everybody knows i keep on being kind of humbled um, the handful of of people that I've interacted with, just how much work has already been done uh, by people kind of doing the same thing I'm doing of looking through these archival collections. When I started um, the podcast, I was working as a park ranger at Grand Portage National Monument, where I would give, um, you know, bagpipe concerts and talk about 18th century piping uh, a couple times a week, and at that point, I didn't think there were any sources. I had, I looked at uh, Joseph Wrightson's book talking about Scottish music, uh, and I really love Joseph Wrightson's Robin Hood ballads book, but he didn't have any sheet music in it, really, uh, barely any. And that was the same thing for his Scottish music; it was mostly lyrics that he assumed you'd know the the lyrics or the the notes for um, so i really loved robert burns's uh, contributions as part of the Scots musical museum because that actually had the the not the notes in it so i could figure out what old tunes sounded like and eventually i was turned on to donald mcdonald's uh, collection of Pebrook and dance tunes from 1821 and 1828 ish and those were kind of my first actual bagpipe sources outside of p Brook. and even the p Brook stuff i was looking at was from much later much later, but, you know, assumed to be much older. Um, much more recent, rather, was, I was mostly using Kilberry, which is from the 1940s. Um, but, uh, in theory, those tunes go back much further. Anyway, uh, so starting up this podcast has kind of been shocking, realizing just how much printed material there is if you're trying to sort of uncover um, music and the bagpipe repertoire from the 18th and the 19th century. So I'm going to we'll do a quick little musical interlude here and then we'll come back and talk about some of my favorite sources. Um, and it's just some of the names that I'm most likely over the past, um, 80 episodes or so or 60 episodes. to so just kind of say a name, assuming people know who it is, um, and give you some background information on those. But, uh, before that, I guess we should, I guess we haven't done a straight Ellen pipe track yet. So let's do another, uh, Ellen pipe track and, uh, this will be a set of country dance tunes. Uh, just have I'm not going to really talk about country dance collections in this um, in this list of my most go-to sources, um, but I love a country dance tune, and I'm sure we're going to have a couple episodes this season that's just me playing through country dance books. Uh, and so this is a collection, uh, a set of tunes from. Um, pay the pipe maker my most recent album as the time of recording this uh where i just made a set out of all of these um yeah out of all of these country dance this one country dance book rather the straight and skilern country dance book i think 204 favorite country dances from 1775 i think is the book it's from anyway you can hear this on pay the pipe maker Alright, so those tunes were um, Miss Fowler's Delight, The Nabob, Pantheon, and The Oak Tree. Uh, Just lovely tunes. Love going to those country dance books. Okay, so, like I was saying, when I first started thinking about 18th century highland piping, I assumed there was nothing, that there was literally nothing written in the 18th century about highland piping, uh, apart from uh, Pibroch written in Canthroch uh and that's not the case there's a lot of things written for and from highland piping in the 18th century there's more in the 19th century but the reality is that the 18th century was sort of a booming time for mass print media Uh, and so while there might not be a ton of uh, music written for pipes explicitly there's lots of printed music that is playable on pipes with minor or major uh, revisions and that has sort of been what this podcast has turned into in my head a little bit is thinking, like, what could a Piper who managed to like know how to read music that got a hold of some of these printed sources what would their interpretation of this music be um, so that's what a lot of uh, the episodes are and in my head that's sort of what I'm doing is imagining myself as a, a far less educated than probably most of the pipers were a uh, piper maybe somebody that quit their apprenticeship or something uh, getting a hold of these tunes and trying to make sense of them um, so in doing that there are some big names i'm not going to go through absolutely every source by any stretch of the imagination Um, these are just all the names that i think are important or that i kind of reference assuming people know and i'm going to go through this in roughly chronological order Um, these are sources that i continually return to so believe it or not at this point if you've never listened to this podcast before if this is your first episode i would recommend pausing go find another episode to listen to i really like the season finale episodes are generally pretty good Um, for season four season five listen to those kind of get a feel for what the show is uh, and then maybe come back and listen to the rest of this this the next bit of this podcast episode is really going to be me listing off all the sources i use and kind of why they're interesting where they're from uh, without a lot of music i'll finish with a big long wicked cool set of patrick mcdonald tunes on small pipes um, but there's going to be a lot of me talking without a lot of music which is not indicative of what this podcast generally is. So if this is your first time, go check something else out. I recommend those season finales. Uh if not, then hang out and refamiliarize yourself with these texts. And if you already knew a bunch of stuff about these texts that I'm not saying something that's really important, send me an email about it at waytutwog at gmail.com. Anyway, let's get on with my list of sources. So My interest is in the 18th century, but I have occasionally been pulled much earlier than that, uh, especially kind of looking at and talking with Pete Stewart uh, about some of the works that he's looking at. I find myself continually playing users from the 1600s, Uh, but even before talking with Pete much, John Playford uh is a name that i will talk about often so pete stewart is a live and breathing researcher and bagpiper uh and the editor for lowland uh for the common stock which is the kind of newsletter for the lowland and border piping society um so i shouldn't have him in this list of people but this is listed chronologically and he keeps on getting me interested in playing 1500 stuff um Anyway, so there'll be a link to some of his books. He has a couple books that are particularly well-researched that kind of focus on music um, in different different eras. So his... Uh, early period when the day at Daw covers 1400 to 1715, and then Welcome Home My Deary covers 1690 to, to 1900. Great collections of research and tunes in there. Um, anyway, so let's go to the actual historical authors, um, the the sources that I use a lot. Playford is sort of the first one that I wind up referring to a fair amount. Uh, John Playford uh, published a bunch of tune collections and kind of dance instructions uh, called The Dancing Master. Uh, He starts publishing in 1651 uh, and he kind of does it for a long time. I think he has a child who's also Playford doing it. Eventually he is sort of replaced by John Walsh uh, in competition for printing music. John Walsh Sr. kind of starts printing music around 1690. Uh, In 1711, he starts printing Handel's music, which gives Walsh a pretty huge kind of upper edge in the print music scene. Uh, Walsh is in London, uh, or in in England anyway, I'm pretty sure in London. Uh, John Walsh has a son also named John Walsh, so things get a little bit confusing. Seems like John Walsh Jr. sort of starts doing a lot more of the printing uh, by 1730 and has some collections of... Uh, Scottish country dance music uh, around 1750, which is when I start really using his stuff. Um, Jumping over to Ireland, this is around the time kind of the oldest collection of Irish tunes that I look at is from John and William Neal's Celebrated Irish Tunes. Uh, That was printed in 1724. Uh, Some lovely tunes. There's some Carolyn stuff in there. Um, There's really... As far as I know, the only of uh, Carolyn's music, who's a famous harp player in Ireland, Um, it's the only tunes that were published that Carolyn supposedly composed while he was still alive. There's lots of Carolyn tunes that are printed well after he dies, but um, Carolyn died in 1738. This book was published in 1724. Uh, Anyway, so those are Irish tunes. There's nowhere near as much stuff printed in Ireland as there is in uh, England and Scotland, but there is, there is some, (laughs) there is some, and it's all pretty dang good. Um, but John William Neal's collection, pretty important. John Walsh, pretty important. Uh, John Walsh, uh, like I said, I had kind of a three or four episode arc talking about the Bremner family and John Walsh kind of got a big chunk of that episode as well in season four. So you can check that stuff out there if you want. Uh, okay, let's go to 1725, which seems like an arbitrary date to pick, but, um, this is when alan Ramsay first does the gentle shepherd which is sort of a one of these folk music operas in scotland alan ramsey Ramsay just gets no uh feels like he doesn't get the respect he deserves he's essentially robert burns a couple generations before robert burns of taking traditional scottish folk songs putting poetry to them putting new lyrics to them and that sort of thing um published a bunch of songs in a book called tea table miscellany a series and um but mostly his publications didn't have the the sheet music for it just had the words um but it was published in a separate book um that i have linked all these things i'm talking about there are links to where you can go look at them uh on your own right Uh, another source kind of around um around the same time right when alan ramsey's getting going um william mcgibbon is also starting to publish stuff william mcgibbon and james oswald are very similar characters in my head. Um, They both are playing Scottish music, but with kind of that Italian influence where like that was where all the real hip music was coming from was Italy. Um, And people were trying to copy that sound and kind of do things with an Italian flair. William McGibbon did it uh, starting around 1726. Uh, He dies uh, in the 1750s. James Oswald starts doing that in 1745 and his Caledonian pocket companions. um, McGibbon winds up being an important character where even around the time of the American Revolution people are advertising that they've got McGibbon stuff being sold in Boston uh, where they're importing music written by William McGibbon 20 years after he died um still good stuff I wound up playing him a lot more in season four than season five I'm hoping to get back to playing McGibbon I find that McGibbon's a little bit more achievable than James Oswald who came about um I mean, they were contemporaries for a couple years, but he's sort of 20 years later, is how I think about it. Um, going back to 1727, uh, so if McGibbon is active from, say, 1726 to 1755, we're going to go backwards in time a little bit, back to Daniel Wright in 1727. Uh, this is another collection that it just feels like everything is in. Um, it's called Aria de Camera, being a collection of Scotch, Irish, and Welsh airs for the violin and German flute. Um... Daniel Wright is sort of who's credited with creating it, but it mentions that it's got Mr. Alex Urquhart from Edinburgh, Dermot O'Connor from Limerick, and a Welsh performer as well, whose name, uh, Mr. Hugh Edwards of Karma I think is how you say that. Um, yeah, useful source, lots of good tunes in there, uh, especially season four, I wound up kind of going back to that well and finding stuff in there a lot uh okay and then next uh 1733 the famous william dixon manuscript uh i will often just say oh that's a dixon tune uh william dixon was a piper in the borders and uh, probably almost certainly played what we call border pipes or lowland pipes today there is some debate some people argue he was a northumbrian but he played like what we would call northumbrian small pipes but um but I'm firmly uh, in the Matt Seattle camp of, nah, he played border pipes. This is a border pipe repertoire. Uh, William Dixon's got some really awesome tunes, lots of cool variations, and uh, Matt Seattle has done a really great job with the Dixon manuscript and several other things as well that we'll, we'll talk about for looking at sources. Uh, Anyway, so that's 1733, the William Dixon manuscript, and you really start to see a lot of tunes show up and they're kind of replicated between William Dixon and then this next person I'm going to talk about, David Young, who was a fiddler and uh, dancing master and just had beautiful penmanship uh, there's a handful of manuscripts floating around from david young uh, i think the first one is the drummond castle manuscript from 1734 uh, there's also the mcfarland manuscript um, from the 1740s but these are beautiful dance tunes and um, oh, uh, like i said they often have the same uh, like the same tunes that William dixon is doing you'll see in david young uh, kind of different settings for often So, um, cool sources. Often we'll go back to that David Young well. All right, and now 1743, we have the first official bagpipe thing, um, bagpipe instructional thing at the time. And this is from John Gaffigan, uh, Gaffigan's complete tutor for the pastoral or new bagpipe. So, essentially, this is an Illan pipe tutor from 1743. So, long before the name Illan is really being used um, to describe this instrument, um, arguably before their really recognizable as illin pipes obviously pastoral pipes are slightly different than union or illin pipes and that they have a foot on them that means you can get that leading note so sort of like a highland pipe chanter goes from g up to high a without thinking about it too hard because you can also get up to high b high c and high d um, but mostly when we play today it's got that low g up to high a uh, with an illin pipe chanter you kind of start with you don't get that lead-in note, that, that low G equivalent, which generally is a C for Allen Pipes, but with pastoral chanters, they've got this extra foot on there, so rather than um, rather than closing it off and playing it uh, kind of staccato like you do with Allen Pipes often, you'd have that long note, so you can get that lead-in note. Anyway, so John against Tudor, lovely collection of tunes in there. Uh, published in 1743. Uh, I've talked about Robert Bremner a couple times, but I'd say he really gets his start in the 1750s. Uh, He publishes a funny kind of critique and... uh, He he publishes a lot. He publishes a lot. I've really enjoyed, uh, there's there's like a three or four episode arc talking about the Bremner family that I'm pretty proud of, I think, from season four. I guess I haven't come back and re-listened to it, but I was proud of it when I was doing it and did a lot of research for it, kind of looking at Bremner's beginnings as somebody trying to fix uh, church music in Scotland um, to just kind of moving to London and selling music um, and eventually publishing the first tutorial on how to play the guitar in Scotland, uh, which was probably written by his brother brother james bremner who wound up emigrating to um philadelphia i think and playing music with somebody who wound up signing the declaration of independence so interesting interesting family uh, okay, 1760, the next bagpipe thing. I haven't actually used this too much, but I definitely refer to this man a lot, and that's Joseph MacDonald. Uh, Joseph MacDonald's complete theory of the Scots Highland bagpipe. He is the brother of Patrick MacDonald, who published one of the most robust collection of Highland pipe tunes in the 18th century. Um, but Joseph MacDonald wrote this tutorial essentially on. You know, the complete theory on Scott's Highland Bagpipe, it's largely about Peabrook, but it's not just about Pbrook. I keep meaning to do it as an audiobook, um, hopefully, will at some point, but um, interesting collection of tunes. He wrote it while on a ship uh, bound for India and he died in India. Uh, interesting character, though. Definitely worth listening to that Patrick MacDonald audiobook because Joseph comes up quite a bit. Um, I guess 1771, we'll talk explicitly about the Scots Musical Museum. This is, I always think of it as Burns, it isn't actually Robert Burns, Uh, he did a lot of work collecting tunes for it, but James Johnson is sort of who's attributed with publishing it. Um, 1771 is when the first one comes out, it's just a great collection of Scottish folk songs with the notes attached to them but i'll refer to burns and scott's musical museum a lot uh 1774 we're in another bagpipe thing and this time again we're in ireland again there are very few things um there's not a ton of stuff printed in ireland that um kind of makes it onto the list even i think gaffigan's tutor is printed in london or printed in scotland i can't recall which Um, but walker jackson celebrated irish tunes walker jackson is so cool uh seems like one of the biggest like pop music stars to come out of ireland you'll see jackson's morning brush show up in all sorts of um collections really um in the 18th century it just is a very popular dance tune in england and scotland as well as ireland um so that's published in 1774 jackson has like hundreds of tunes attributed to him but he did publish a small collection of his own tunes i've already played every single one of them on the podcast and i'm planning on starting a youtube series where i play them with you know a little bit more skill and uh in one place um for YouTube. Anyway, so we'll, we'll see that as it happens. Uh so that's 1774 is when his Celebrated Irish Tunes is printed. So, getting back over to uh England, uh we've got William Vickers who is a fiddle player, uh I think and has this massive manuscript that is full of great stuff. Uh the date associated with it is 1776 generally. Like I say, I don't think it ever got printed, uh, but the Northumbrian Small Piping Society kind of has a amazing version of it. Kind of cleaned up and with lots of notes about all the concordances written by Matt Seattle. So strongly encourage getting a copy of that. It's called The Great Northern Tune Book. Um, You can also look at the original on the Farn archive, but that archive is sort of a pain to use, especially if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. The search function works okay. If you can search by tune name, it'll show up, but that's not particularly helpful for just kind of um, scanning. Uh, going back to scotland uh 1778 uh daniel dow uh talk about dow tunes fairly regularly it's not a huge collection of tunes but it's an interesting one uh it's printed uh like i said 1778 collection of ancient scots music for the violin never before printed lots of english uh, interesting gaelic names in there and sort of jacobite leaning stuff in there kind of printed at a time uh that key thinks you're sort of teasing the water keith singer another person i reference often without explaining is a kind of bagpipe historian and scholar who spends a lot of time looking through the archives um kind of uncovering and finding out interesting stuff about um pipers in scotland and england and in ireland and uh somebody that i'm really looking forward to doing a chat with um this coming episode or coming season again kind of talking about bagpipe history but I will often uh, get kind of correspondence from Keith talking about stuff on the podcast, so I'll just say Keith wrote this. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, so Daniel Dow, uh, the next one. This is a big one. James Aired. I feel like James Aired is just it's, he publishes these massive collections. He's Clearly, I think he published every single thing that that Jackson had published in his own book, or nearly, um, and published his stuff that Patch McDonald had published. Uh, it's just a lot of, there's a lot of tunes in there. Um, and there's, it seems like there's a lot of versions of it that survive, just based on like looking at the archives, how many different places have put it online, uh, because there's many original copies floating around out there. Um, James Aird started publishing music probably around 1779. He died in 1795. um, But there were a couple editions that came out after he died. His printer from day one, I think, was John McFadden. And on the very last issue that John McFadden printed, he still said Aird's final collection. So some people will say, well, we should call that McFadden's collection rather than aired's but i'm just gonna rather than confusing the issue anymore i'm just gonna refer to all that stuff as aired because john mcfadyen was clearly happy enough to do that um aired was publishing in glasgow um yeah collection uh, selection of scotch english and Irish airs uh irish and foreign airs really good tunes in there really accessible settings um and just stuff that you can really see that that's sort of, that's the music, that's the music everybody's playing. Uh, Kind of along those same lines, this one I don't really know when to put, but I'm gonna, I'm putting Neil Gow here, say around 1780. Um, Neil Gow and Sons wound up printing a lot of tunes. Gows are sort of those famous Scottish fiddlers. Neil Gow has the kind of famous portrait of him sitting down in tartan breeches and, um, and half socks stockings whatever you call those diced hose, i suppose um famous fiddler lots of great tunes but he and his sons wound up printing a lot of music um kind of roughly starting around 1780 um but i'll often just say well there's a gow tune version of that um and then 1784 patrick mcdonald this is such an important collection of tunes a collection of highlander vocal airs Uh, patrick printed these. A lot of the work that he was printing was stuff that Joseph, his brother who wrote the Pebrook book, um, that didn't get published until much, much later. Um, but Patrick wound up printing a lot of the work that Joseph had done and then adding to it. And there are just some great tunes in there from the Hebrides and uh, various parts of uh, the Highlands. Um, yeah, really, really good tunes in there. Uh, and it's 1784. It's like exactly the time period that I was supposed to be kind of talking about bagpiping and uh, for the fur trade. And I didn't realize this collection existed until this year. Or Sorry, 2021, I guess. Good stuff, though. Very good stuff in there. A lot of unnamed tunes um, or uh, Gaelic names. So that can be a little bit tricky. But anyway, um, let's go with 1785. Uh, this is an unpublished manuscript written by John Sutherland. This is one of these, again, a collection that is so perfect for what I was wanting to do of kind of play uh, Highland Pipes and Ellen Pipes music that would have been common in the 18th century. Uh, Sutherland played uh, Highland Pipes, played uh, Border Pipes or Lowland Pipes. Um, and his manuscript is, it wasn't printed, so it was just the tunes that he enjoyed playing. So it's kind of lovely to see that. There's also supposedly a fingering chart where he talks about how to pinch up to high C. I have looked through that manuscript so many times and I haven't been able to find it. It gets a little confusing because he also has a, a, a union or an Irish chanter uh, fingering chart in there too um but lots of cool tunes in there it's sort of the holy grail for understanding how music um that was popular at the time makes its way into bagpipes in the 18th century and across different you know these borders of well that's irish music or that's scottish music is like kind of blown out of the water that that's a thing uh in john sutherland's manuscript um, from aberdeenshire Uh, all right 1795 the Caledonian and Hibernian Muse collections are published around that time, um, all by uh, family uh, Samuel Ann and Peter Thompson. I'd love to know more about this family. They published a bunch of good country dance books as well. Uh, but these Caledonian Muse and Hibernian Muse collections are cool and that they've got um, kind of essays about Scottish history that are sort of questionable, and then a, a little bit better essay on Irish history and a good collection of Carolyn tunes, which may might be a collection of tunes that Carolyn's offspring had of Carolyn's own compositions. So uh, we've already done that as an audiobook and played through some of them, but it's another source that shows up pretty regularly. Um... 1790 so the 1790s is an interesting time for music 1792 there's this belfast harp festival where all of the traditional old irish harpers come together to play and this organization sent edward bunting to record their tunes and eventually package it as a more accessible piano score in 1796 this means that that score is pretty frustrating to look at um uh if you don't play piano um but if you don't play piano if you're willing to do the work of kind of moving where the key is um, there's some really incredible Irish music in Edward Munting's various books so it's a general collection uh, of Irish tunes I think is what it's called general collection of uh, ancient Irish music Um, these wind up continually being published until 1840 there's I think the last edition that comes out there's been really cool work being um, done by Simon Chadwick, who goes and plays through not Bunting's transcriptions, but Bunting's live notes of it. But Bunting's a name I will reference often, but nowhere near as often as I reference this next guy, O'Farrell. O'Farrell's first name is a bit of a mystery. Um, Don't know it for sure. I think I've seen Pork kind of suggested as a possible first name, um, but I can't recall right now. So most people just refer to him as O'Farrell. I know that the kind of naming convention in Irish is that you kind of follow what the person said and O'Farrell said O'Farrell and Farrell when he was speaking in English or writing in English, whereas Caroline seemingly only used O'Carolan when he was talking in Irish, but when he was in English he used Carolyn, so you don't use the O. I think that's how it works could be wrong um anyway o'farrell published uh, around 1800 this tutor for union pipes um and that's a pretty cool collection of tunes um but really o'farrell i always say is the guy who taught me how to play ellen pipes because he has this set of four Uh, pocket companions. Uh, O'Farrell was a piper, an Irish piper living in London and kind of playing for that cosmopolitan London crowd. Uh, Jerry O'Sullivan has put out a couple albums of only O'Farrell tunes. Nick Brown has put out an album of several O'Farrell tunes. I've got many O'Farrell tunes on my albums as well. Um, Just great, great tunes and definitely kind of playing and showing the the scope of an irish piper um especially when playing in london where you've got to be able to play american tunes irish tunes scottish tunes welsh tunes that sort of thing Uh, but some really good music in there and pat sky printed a kind of lovely facsimile copy of both of uh, both o'farrell's pocket companions and his tutor i only had the pocket companion but as I was, I had kind of given up on the Heather Clark tutor, and then I got O'Farrell's book and I just played over and over and over again until I could figure some of that stuff out. Uh, O'Farrell's the first of kind of a trio of Irish pipers that um, lived in uh, England or Scotland that published music. And I think the next one is Richard Fitzmaurice. Um I've been working my way playing through those tunes as well FitzMaurice's new collection of Irish tunes he came in, out in several volumes uh starting around 1805 the other one FitzMaurice's tunes are pretty conventionally like recognizable as Irish the other one john murphy uh started printing his in 1810 that's a collection of irish airs and jigs with variations there is some irish stuff in there for sure but there's a lot of tunes in there that are wild uh and seem to be scottish english or just murphy being a pretty imaginative creative musician um, so that's 1810. 1812, this is another incredible source that I'm just starting to use now, uh, and this is an unpublished manuscript uh, of original Highland heirs collected at Ross, eh, in 1812 by Eliza Ross. Again, Lots of Highland piping tunes in there. Um, and it seems like on Ross A, my gut is telling me that there's quite a few Ross A pipers that pinched up to high B and high C based on just how the music looks in Ross's manuscript. It's also one of the few sources we have on this list that's, you know, a woman, uh, which is sort of kind of speaks to the 18th century ideas of gender and um status and you know professionalization of women and things that they're allowed to do unfortunately um but eliza ross was great she's got a great collection of stuff here um and definitely tunes worth looking at uh okay next 1820 another kind of holy grail collection this is the robert miller uh kind of unpublished manuscripts uh he worked on several books um uh one of the books is called a collection of pedrocks laments salutes marches real stress bays pr- prudence, principally principally adapted for the great highland bagpipe miller again played irish pipes highland pipes um kind of wound up inventing his own chanter to do extended range of stuff um but it's a again really great for seeing the variety of tunes that people were playing on the uh on on bagpipes and from different traditions at the same time but he's a piper from i think the highlands but from scotland anyway and principally i think he's a highland piper all right next another sort of, i don't actually talk about coakley too much but he has another complete uh, instruction for the union pipes from around 1820 or so um but yeah i don't really talk about him too much okay big one i've already talked about briefly donald Macdonald, um 1821 ish is when that first collection comes out um that's the one where It's a collection of Piedruck, but it begins with dance music, so everybody knows how he's writing it. 1828, uh, MacDonald comes out with a collection of dance tunes as well, and I play through a bunch of those in season four. Uh, I've kind of been neglecting MacDonald lately, and I'm hoping to get back to him. Uh, I really like his settings for tunes. Some of the better-known people, like Angus Mackay, I'm not as fond of their settings. But Donald MacDonald, good pipe maker, and uh, I really like his his settings. Uh, 1840... Let's go John Rook. Uh, John Rook is uh, a musician. Yeah, this is another unpublished manuscript, but it's massive and has some kind of important uh, details. There's been a reprinted one recently where somebody edited and printed it, but I, I haven't gotten that yet. Uh, but I think I think John Rook played Northumbrian Smallpipes. He may have just played Fiddle, but I know Rook is sort of used by Northumbrian Smallpipers a lot to find their, their sources. But there's... I mean, when I looked at John Rook's setting for the highland man kissed his granny or kissed his mother that really kind of connected the dots between gravel walk and that tune to me so anyway really good setting already mentioned angus MacKay. his book comes out in 1843 at least the one that i use the most that piper's assistant uh, which is a collection of dance tunes shortly after that william gunn this is another collection that i wind up playing from quite a lot Uh, the caledonian repository of music adapted for the bagpipes 1854 Uh, john mclaughlin the piper's assistant i find myself using that collection a lot as well. So there's kind of a, a flood of Highland Pipe stuff printed um, in the 18 kind of early, first anyway, starting with 1820, there's a, there's a bunch of Highland Pipe collections printed that I use. Uh, and then Canon Goodman. This is another name that I definitely reference. Uh, Goodman was a Uh, Irish Piper and uh, collected tunes uh, shortly after and kind of in the aftermath of the uh, famine in Ireland and his collection is amazing. Uh, There's lots of really good stuff in there and kind of, if there's an Irish tune for it, there's a good chance that Goodman recorded it, and it's in those collections. So, I, I find, my, at first I was ignoring Goodman, because it's sort of after my frame of reference, but he's got a nice selection of Walker tunes, uh, Walker Jackson tunes, and that aren't really anywhere else, so I've been playing through Goodman more and more lately. Uh, another one that's much later than I'm generally interested in, but collected everything, is Francis O'Neill. O'Neill has all of these big, massive books. He was a police officer in Chicago, and an Irish piper, and collected tunes from seemingly every irish musician in america and uh went over to ireland as well to kind of trade tunes and stuff back and forth and finally um i guess uh, archibald campbell's if, if i play p Brooke, i generally use the kilbury book of kilmore i'll look at some of the other settings and i've the kilbury book has always been my my go-to p Brooke book so that's just what i wind up using <sighs> okay anyway that is that's it um there's also wilson's country dance book which i think is published in the 1820s or something but uh the country dance uh, or ballroom compendium or something like that i wilson published this whole book this whole guide to doing country dances and i wind up if there's a tune in there it feels kind of important so i'll reference wilson pretty regularly i think those are most of the sources that i name without explaining explicitly there are probably some others i'll probably add some more uh in season six here um But these are the big ones that I know I have heard myself say without explaining. So there's me quickly explaining them all. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you've listened this far, holy buckets, what a bad first episode. Um, So hopefully you didn't. Hopefully you went and listened to, like, some other episode. Uh, And then after a couple realized, I kind of need to know who some of these people are. Um, Any questions, hit me up, waytotwog at gmail.com. yeah, love to hear from anybody. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash way2twog. Let's go out on a tune I am working on, uh, for this next album, Bannocks of Barley Meal. So, uh, there's lots of tunes going to be on it. I'm trying to limit myself to 19 tunes, uh, per, per album at this point. Cause it, I feel like it makes me look a little bit less, uh, crazy, uh, I suppose, uh, than putting out albums that are like 37 long. Um, And so we'll go out on a collection of tunes that I haven't put on the podcast yet uh, in all one place. These are all tunes from um, Patrick McDonald's collection. Uh, This is The Mermaid, The Fisherman's Song for Attracting Seals, Spoigen, Jonal McDonald's Jig, or sorry, um, Joseph McDonald's Jig, uh, Lord Ray's Jig, and The Goat Herd. So kind of a big, massive set, and I'm playing them on a borrowed set of ray sloan's small pipes and a and hopefully that album will be out sometime in february uh, although it is taking me longer than i want it to because i keep on <laughs> kind of having an epiphany about doing things or trying again harder so thanks for listening remember all of these sources literally anytime i play a tune on this podcast you can look at the archival uh, collection yourself or if it's a modern tune or a printed publication I'll have links to where you can get it all that stuff's in the show notes Um, I'm going to try to update um, the tune collection tab on the podcast website as well that links to a bunch of these things. Just making this list of 40, I've realized there's a bunch of these that didn't make it onto that tune collections page. And just the way that tune collections page is organized, I'm not crazy about. So that'll probably change. Anyway, thank you for recommending me to your friends and pipers. And if this is your first episode, uh, thanks for checking it out. Hopefully, you find something that trips your fancy. And here is a set of tunes from Patrick McDonald.